Welcome to Recommissioned, a bi-weekly podcast where we go back to watch Battlestar Galactica. Each week, I'm joined by my good pal Matt, who has only seen the episodes up to the one we're covering. Now, I've seen them all. And on this week's episode, we are going to discuss Battlestar Galactica Razor. What about me? Don't hold back just because I've got a pulse. You're a step up, but that doesn't change the fact that you're an outsider who was brought in to clean up our mess. Or the impression that your daddy just gave you a battle star, like he was tossing you the keys to a new car. You certainly don't disappoint, Lieutenant. So how would you like to be my new XO? Sir? One thing I learned from my father before he tossed me the keys is that a commander needs a strong right arm. I also need to send a message to this crew that I respect Kane's legacy, even if the truth is that I don't. I'm no Kane. But I intend to give this crew their pride back. So I'll let you carry her torch. Deal? In that case, Major, you're out of uniform. All right, Mr. Anderson, it's our long-anticipated coverage of the BSG mini-film, I guess you'd say, called Razor. And um, now that you've seen the entire film, you can sort of understand why I elected to wait to watch it after season three before season four as a result of the stuff discussed with Kara at the end because, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I do feel like uh, having Starbuck called the herald of the apocalypse and the harbinger of death would have had me thrown (laughs) for a loop. I would have had my eyebrow continuously raised for the rest of the season. Like what? Right. What's up with you again? Are you a Cylon? That would have been my immediate thought. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about razor on a rewatch all these years later. And I am very, yeah. And I'm very curious as to what, as to what you, you think about it, because I am, I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know how entirely, um, I don't know, necessary it is. Is that, is that harsh? Mm. I, no, I see, I see where you're coming from. I'll, I feel like that is kind of up for debate. Um, yeah. And we'll, obviously we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through, as far as like, do we need this information ah. or is it just kind of like extra flavor, extra, is it just yummy appetizers on top of our meal? And at the end of the day, when we get the bill, we're like, nah, we didn't need to buy those appetizers. <laughs> we're still taking home leftovers. We don't need it. We didn't need that. Oh, we're so fucking fat. It might be one of those situations where you say, yes, I want the double meat lasagna. And after three bites, you fucking hate yourself. But right. the first three bites are delicious. And you already had like a, a cheese enchilada and a couple of onion rings before that because you're at Applebee's and it's like $5 for all of it. And you're like, oh, fuck. Right. So much food. It tasted so good. But yeah. No, in all honesty, I mean, as far as the necessity of the information, some of the information we get here, I feel like that's kind of up for debate. But as far as my enjoyment of it, I enjoyed the hell out of this. Like, I think it was a fucking blast. Um, it was really fun <laughs> the whole way through. I mean, it's brutal. It's uh, pretty pretty dark. You know, one funny thing about this going in, because it's so focused on Admiral Kane, I mean, in truth, it's more so on Shaw, but since it's like, you know, hey, it's the only standalone BSG movie that goes back and revisits an earlier part of the series, and it's focused on Kane, my, my going in thought, knowing nothing else about it, was just, I bet this is going to try to give, you know, Kane a little more of a sympathetic angle. 
And I don't feel like that was the case. <laughs> I don't feel like I walked away from this being like, oh, now I get her. I'm like, still seems like a stone cold motherfucker. Um, but I kind of, I see her reasoning for her, her actions a little more, but I'm, I don't fully agree on really any of it. Uh, yeah, but I do, but I, but I find her character and I find the character of Shaw also really interesting and I mm. enjoyable as hell to watch. And I, I got to say, I got to credit just kind of the filmmaking and the writing here for portraying events that we've already heard described and we already knew what happened, but I was still, I found them exciting to watch. And I was like, that's cool. Like I, I didn't, I, I thought some of the flashback stuff to the, their ship being attacked and them having to get away. I'm like, I remember this. I remember Fisk detailing this stuff, but it was still fucking fun to, to watch happen. Yeah. You know, it's funny on the one hand, I feel like, so a lot of BSG heads kind of got PO'd that this happened when it did because we were so far removed from this stuff. Mm, right I like this that. is supposed to take place after the captain's hand which is the 17th episode of the second season that's that's when this takes place right like apollo freshly promoted to major he's assigned to the Battlestar pegasus to sister new captain commander barry garner the ship's former senior engineer when two pegasus raptors sent out on a routine mission by captain starbuck disappear from dreadus commander garner places all blame on starbuck implying that she is negligent right <clears throat> Right. It's supposed to take place after The Captain's Hand, which is episode 17 of season two, and before yep. uh, Lay Down Your Burdens part one, which is only one episode in between there, downloaded. Um, which, that's the only one in between here. So it's like a 30-day span between Captain's Hand and Lay Down Your Burdens that this is all playing out with. Right. So one of the things this does is it gets into, you know, sequels, prequels, excuse me, are a funny thing. Because on the one hand, we have already established many things and we already know what's going to happen a lot of times. You know, if you take something like Rogue One, you kind of know the outcome of Rogue One going in in that the mission will be a success because we know ultimately the Death Star is destroyed. But does that impact your enjoyment of Rogue One? Now, there are many factors that go into what impacts our enjoyment of something, not just necessarily the idea of it being a prequel. Because I think you're hinting at it in that it, ex- it was executed in a way that was fun to you. Yeah. And enjoyable, right? And I think I think at the end of the day that's all that really matters if if I'm making sense here. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, I think that's a that's a, a major part of it at the end of the day is is this does it not so much a question sometimes of does this information unlock something finally for you and, and make something make sense, but does this information at least add interesting facets to the storylines and the characters we care about? And I feel like it does that much. Like again, I, the question of its necessity I'm not so sure about. Um, to be honest, I'm leaning towards. Eh, it's probably not necessary. Like utterly necessary. I, I feel like I, you know, I would have still understood season three without this. Um, it didn't. It didn't like point me back over it and go, "Oh, that's why this thing happened." I just kind of more like, "Oh, so that's why this person felt this way sure. about this thing that happened." Yeah. And you know, I I sometimes think necessary is, and I and I'm the one who said it, but I sometimes think it's a cop out because I. What does that even mean? As far as necessary? I, yeah, I think I think when people say necessary, a lot of the times they're just simply talking about it before they even see it. Like, you, you, you'll see that on social media, like, oh, is this necessary? And they haven't even seen it yet. And they're just questioning the decision to put it forward. And a lot of times it's like, oh, we're going to do Spider-Man for the fifth time. <laughs> and the question becomes, is it necessary? It's never, well, we haven't seen it. It might be a really good movie. Nobody, that's, that's rare. Only your diehards say that, right? <laughs> right, I would right. even count myself among the people going, oh God, not again. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's, there's more of a meta criticism there than it is a criticism of the actual piece of art in question. 
Because if I woke up on a desert island one day and the 10th iteration of Spider-Man was in my hands and I watched it without prior knowledge of the other nine, I could probably go, wow, this is really cool. But since we don't live in that reality, we're always going to compare it to something that came before it. Now, I understand I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but I think my point is this. I said it, and I'm trying to figure out why I said it live here on the show. (laughs) And I'm starting to wrap my head around, I don't, I like, I think, I think if you held a gun to my head and asked me, do I like Razor? If, if we implied, if we implored, invoked, take your pick, the LSG media scale and said, hate it, didn't like it, like it, love it. I would say I am, I like it. I, I think it's a, I think it's kind of messy. Interesting. Okay. Like there's a lot of like, we are, first of all, we're watching something that was written after the fact and reinserted into the story. And then within that, we're going back and forth in time and then going way back in time. I'm like, whoa, it's, it's, it feels like, it feels like this was made with love. I will give it that. Like, I feel like the creators or maybe even Ron Moore himself was like, this is really cool. I want to go back and tell this story almost in a Lucas kind of way. You know, Lucas is like, oh, I really love this. I want to go back and do this. Like, mm-hmm. I, it feels like that to me. Now, <clears throat> Am I saying it's am I saying it's Attack of the Clones? I'm not saying that. <laughs> I but, would hope not. But but I think there's also positives to it. I think maybe not watching it immediately or supposed to take place works better because we already know the entire story at the point of Captain's hand. So why the fuck do we need to see it? We just heard the story. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It makes right. more sense maybe even to watch it after the third season. Now the 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 the, the hardcore people say this takes place after the captain's hand. You should watch it after the captain's hand and, and mute the last spoiler scene. Uh, that's like, too much. Who's going to do sorry. that? Nope. Yeah. Once you're asking <clears throat> me to, all right, now you have to watch this movie, but during this scene, mute it and, and walk out of the room and let it play out and then come back after four minutes and 68. I'm like, no, 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 no. Mm. Too much. <laughs> that's, you're asking too much. But it airs right after Crossroads Part 2, right after Starbucks Return. So it's airing where it's supposed to air, and we're covering it where it's airing where it aired. We're covering it where it aired. I guess is what I'm trying to say. We're not doing the here's where you should watch if you want to get cute with the timelines. You know, how people do this. They'll take things and <laughs> right. say, "Oh no, here's your watching order. This is this is how you it should be watched." But but I think that I think that final scene kind of ruins that whole idea. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's pretty dependent on you having gone through the all of you know all of season three. And, and if I think about busting this thing down it it is really there's a lot going on in this there is yeah it's so let me tell you the exciting stuff the exciting stuff is the idea of we get to see life on a Battlestar again like when it was when they were on the run and that i mean that's where the show is built and where it is the most enjoyable to me so Mm -hmm. the life on the ship stuff i really just love yeah yeah i would say this is more of a character piece because i think kendra shaw kind of owns this this whole thing yeah that i agree with and that honestly i think is one of the strengths and kind of one of the surprising strengths of this that i did not expect going into it's kind of built off the back of shaw this new character that we never saw during the actual show and that's a that's a pretty big burden for a character okay we're going to introduce this person in this Mm -hmm. and they're also going to die by the end of it um and we have to have a story that is interesting and kind of stands on its own, even though it's obviously connected. Um, and I think she's good. I think she's a good actress. Uh, and I think her storyline is interesting. Um, and kind of like what I was saying as far as like, 
plot-wise, does it hook in and, and provide you know new and extraordinary details? I'm not really sure if it does. One of the things I found that it did add was kind of, and we talked about this back when Kane was alive and we were going through those episodes and you know, kind of just the culture of the Pegasus versus the Galactica. Mm-hmm. I do think this adds to an understanding of that, of like their mindset and why they were just, they seemed so different. They seemed so almost antagonistic. Um, and I think it's really cool when we get to that that moment where right after the attacks and you know they've been able to jump away after that blind jump, and Kane gets on the comm and basically puts out this message of we are now at war. Uh, and, and, and we talked about that some of like, you know, they were never in charge of a civilian fleet. They kind of could have been and went a very different direction. But Galactica has, as much as they've always been pursued and having to fight, not so much a philosophy of we are at war and we are guerrillas attacking. Uh, very much so we're defending, we're defending civilians, and we are trying to get away and survive. And just the whole mindset of the Pegasus crew and Kane at the helm being that we are on the offensive and we are at war and we should be ruthless and cutthroat. Uh, and that was their mindset. And I'm like, it, it, for me, it kind of does put in perspective the way they treated the Cylons, the way they, they treated you know the members of Galactica as kind of soft. And, and you know it, it kind of makes sense. Like that, that stuff makes sense more like culturally now i'm like okay i get it like i see where they were where their minds were at okay i hear what you're saying one of the criticisms i think we had about the pegasus crew from the original episodes was that they seemed not so sympathetic they seemed almost too bad guy-ish exactly which i almost feel like this is one of those times of of screenwriters being like let's kind of explain that a little or try to maybe yeah i was thinking the same thing uh, maybe uh, retrospectively, they always had this in mind, but it never really came through in the writing. That's why, that's the other thing that's tough about these is this definitely wasn't written when the original Pegasus episode was written, right? This is after the fact. No. And I actually looked into it. The guy who wrote this uh, didn't write any episodes during season two. I'm not sure if he wrote, I'm actually not totally sure if he wrote any episodes himself. I think he was a producer, okay. um, but he did not write any of the episodes, which I found interesting. I expected him to have had you know, a writing credit on a couple of episodes of season two, I and mean, probably even some of the Pegasus ones, but I didn't see that. Right. But I guess that's my point, is that it's, it's always difficult when you are going back, like you said, and you, now you could argue... Did Lucas really have the original three movies, like a big understanding that he, well, he didn't make episode New Hope number four for no reason. So That's true. Right. Yeah. So he had to have this impression, like someday we'll go back and tell the original three tales. I think he always really thought that. I don't know if I, I don't know if, no, <laughs> knowing that, not knowing that obviously doesn't always make a big difference on the final product. <laughs> true. But it's always tough. I think, I I think you struggle when, when you don't know and you're going back and sort of making, it must be hard. You have to be very careful in the way you do this. And one thing it's funny on the one hand, I'm almost critical of the fact that cool, we're going back and seeing everything that we know already happened. And we're just actually seeing it now, which is maybe why the descriptor is it necessary comes up because I already know the story beat for beat. And it probably would have been poorly served coming right after we hear about it. Then they go, okay, now we're going to show you about it, show you it for 90 minutes, right? <laughs> which, may be, which may be served as a purpose to watch it by season three. And then on the other hand, I'm saying that you, uh, but, and, then, and then on the other side of my mouth, I'm complimenting this particular episodic event. I don't even know what you call it. <clears throat> I don't know what pronoun it goes by, Matthew. I'm just going to call it Razor. <laughs> I'm going to use its proper name. So, Razor. So with Razor, what I, what I don't, what, what I do want to compliment it for is that it didn't try to do too many other things that would have come up. How do you mean that? Meaning 
if it would have if if Razor would have introduced six new crazy things that never came up in the original airing of the Pegasus episode, we'd be saying, well, why didn't they talk about this then? I see. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, 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 I agree. That's with always like, the well, balancing act in these things. It's always like, okay, uh, did, is this does this seem weird? Does it seem out of place? Right. It's almost like it's like we have to show something new because why are we here if we're not? But at the same time, we can't show you know something so extraordinary that would be like, well, why wasn't that ever talked about? Exactly. I, that you've summarized my thoughts perfectly, and I think there is the inherent challenge in doing a prequel. Because let's be real, it's a prequel. It sure is. That doesn't mean bad. It just is no, what it no. is. And there are certain restrictions on what you can and can't do when you have a prequel. Now, as a majority of this episode is sort of owned by Kendra Shaw and her life and her journey, I think we're probably going to talk about that at large. But is there anything else that you think is that you want to discuss first? Should we talk a little bit about Kane and the crew of the Pegasus and we're definitely not going to do this scene by scene. I, I don't. I don't no. think that's utterly necessary. <laughs> I think it's way too all over the place. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, I did think it was Kane? an interesting. Huh. How about Kane? Yeah, let's dive into Kane. I mean, one of the things I was going to bring up with with her, uh, you know, seeing the six disguised as Gina uh, aboard Oof. their ship and like their her role there, and of course her role being a network administrator, you oh. know, to dump in them good Cylon viruses whenever they get the chance. Um, that I thought was interesting, but especially the whole angle of, oh, they were beginning to be lovers. And that's mm. uh, that's why you were so especially vindictive and horrible to her once she well, was a prisoner. A little like, scissor okay. sisters action? A, li- a little bit. A little, a little bit. bit. A couple of, a very, Jesus a Christ. A woman scorned by a Cylon lover. I'll tell you, that's a couple of big birds going on. It's like watching ostriches have sex. <laughs> big old long-legged broads. They're those rangy. <laughs> They're rangy. Rangy. <laughs> They have to clear their furniture out of the room before they go at it. These, these <laughs> wide open such floors. Like tigers. They lay down like, jujitsu mats. <laughs> you know, all the room they can get, dude. <laughs> Literally every time they sleep together, they just wreck Kane's quarters completely. Like <laughs> Exo comes in, it, like Jesus Christ. It looks like you took two uh, two Barbie dolls and put them like in a dollhouse that's too small. You know, <laughs> like one leg sticking out a window, one arm hanging into the garage. <laughs> <laughs> They're way Is this too a hotel tall. suite that Motley Crue stayed in? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> They're just way too big. They're too tall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, fuck. dude. Was boy, that a surprise I, to you that, that Kane and her may have been lovers? Oh, yeah. I mean, I did not see that coming. Uh, it was like one of those things where I'm like, oh, that's a surprise. And then I was like, oh, that's why you're so fucking pissed at her. I'm like, ah, that's why you were so especially evil to her. And I'm like, I get it now. Boy, don't uh, don't break Kane's heart, I would say, is the, uh, the advice coming from Don't go breaking my heart again, baby. Yeah, not good. <laughs> she or played I with my will feelings. have you get raped by Thorn. Seriously. She's like, Fisk, she played with my heart. Put the boots to her. Jesus, fist, brutal! I want you to introduce her to your fist, <laughs> and fist I don't mean in her face. Wah 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 wah! That was a zinger. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, Oof. not good. But yeah, I was always like, "Whoa, wait, what?" I mean, not that. Of course, Michelle Forbes is a tall, beautiful, capable woman, very successful, and, and a good actress. And but you never. I mean, you. Kane always felt like so ice, like ice cold to me. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting to see. One of the things I do like about this episode is seeing her more as a person. Right, right. And I think as a person who 
has needs, right? And and was definitely fond of Gina. Yeah. And I think, boy, does it sure definitely cement uh, the six model as the seductress model. Like that is just the the Cylon infiltrator seductress model. Listen, here's the reality with Trisha Helfer. Yeah. Who can resist? Listen, it don't matter. Listen, ladies, listen right now. Get ready to get your keyboards out and go one star. <laughs> here's the reality. Trisha Helfer starts bearing down on you. You're going to do it. <laughs> We're all going to do it. Listen. We're all weak. First of all, every man on the planet is going to do it. That's a given. <laughs> there may be like four gay guys who wouldn't. But I'm pretty sure any woman, she'll flip you. She'll judo flip you right onto those mats that she needs. She'll fucking. I mean, I mean look at her. She'll, she'll hip toss you right on, the, right on your backbone. And you'll be like, all right. Fine. Fine. I have been kind of curious. Okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Ugh, just can't yep. help it. That's the Cylon. That's the Cylon grand plan. That's why, to fucking dump Trisha Helfer there and make her swoon everybody. That's why. That's why Trisha Helfer is so effective at being six. That's why she's such a brilliant cast. That's why she's such an awesome actress. You know, we can we can gag about like how beautiful she is. Everybody knows this, but she's also so formidable and powerful. Yeah. There's you know there's a million pretty women in the world, but not every one of them can tower over you and and level you with the way she looks at you or like she does when she's talking to Sean in the beginning, be so inviting and just so, whoa, like, okay, what point me to what you want me to kill for you, I guess. <laughs> I <laughs> shall commit treason for you. Whatever it, it, it is, is, you know, it's, it's in, and, and I think she's perfect for that role and it goes beyond her looks. It has so much to do with her, her height and her presence. She has totally. Oh yeah. Vampire powers. <laughs> and I, mean, I feel like it takes me all the way back to the literal first scene of the show. I mean, there couldn't be a better introduction of a character of her just marching aboard that human yeah. outpost and just having that dude in her thrall like immediately. Absolutely. She's just like, what are you? Yeah. It's incredible. And it's a good job. And and I think we uh, it's awesome because we don't know Kane's vulnerability. And mm-hmm. we start to at least see some vulnerability in Kane. And that's why... Kane in this episode is very intriguing because we see, I mean, I mean, even her hair is a little bit more wavy. I know that sounds <laughs> so dumb, but it's not pin straight. It's not, you know what I mean? Like she's yeah, more no, loose. She leans more. She's, she's not so stiff. And right. I think all of this comes as a result of all of the treachery that she has faced and, um, right. and the betrayal and, and the, the decisions that she felt were necessary to make at the time. And it's funny because I didn't go back and listen to what we thought about Kane. And I'm sure we offered, uh, I'm sure we moralized a little bit with her and her decisions as we're podcasters and we probably should do. We shouldn't ride the fence like Bill Adama. We should have interesting discussions and not just say, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Kick but, the can um, on down the road. But I'm interested to revisit Kane. I'm interested to talk about her again because Forbes is great. And between Forbes, Helfer, and uh, I'm not sure this woman's name. I think it's Stephanie Jacobson who plays Kendra Shaw. Yeah, Jacobson. That's three, great. three solid. And then you know what? We have dogged on not Jamie Bamber, but we've jo- we dogged on Lee Adama in the past when he was you know the the, the stupid shit with D. But yeah, Crossroads yeah. 1 and 2, he was outstanding. And I think he does a good job in this. There's a couple of cool moments that I actually like. And Starbuck was great to see. Oh, yeah. No, this was this was a real fun ride for Starbuck. I was happy to see her in action again. 
was but, cool. But yeah, Kane, so so essentially Kane's entire we see the beginning, middle, and end of her, basically. Right. Right. We see her, you know, we start out with the attack with their ship in docked. Like, you know, we, we'd heard that before that they were docked on Caprica. She was hoping to maybe even take some leave. At least her exo was trying to convince Kane to, mm-hmm. to take some yep. leave. Uh, and then bam, they were taken by surprise, just like everybody, but had not gotten the, the virus quite downloaded into them yet. Right. Let's talk was, about, let's talk about the battles. Ooh, dude, one thing I was going to say about this is I feel like, I don't know what it is, maybe they threw in a little bit higher budget towards this, uh, but the battles look fucking excellent. They're awesome. Um, Yeah, that's the beauty of going back and doing this after the fact. Oh, totally. But even just like the point of view, there are a lot more like cockpit point of views and just like angles that I feel like we have not seen in dogfights on the show before on display here Mm -hmm. that I thought looked excellent. Like Some of the the heavy batteries going out and the ships dodging basically anti-aircraft. It looks yeah. fucking fantastic. The the Pegasus jumping away with the fire going was particularly awesome. Oh, as yeah. as they go FTL and the fire just streams across space and then you know whisks out as it has no oxygen. Oh yeah, <clears throat> dude. Also the uh, the the moment where Starbuck whips into the, uh, the the docking bay backwards and firing back at the Raider coming into a crash landing. Yep, and this shit is in, awesome. in, in all of this. All of this stuff starts this subplot. With Kane, uh, with excuse me, with Kendra and Starbuck, which I actually like. Yeah, and that's yeah. you know Shaw. She opened up those point defense guns and created this wall of flak that they had to battle through. And Starbuck takes exception to this, and that's one of the things we learn. Obviously, that's that's not now. I'm, see, this is the problem with this. I'm blending timelines, <laughs> right? But basically, Kendra Shaw meets Kane. I love when Kane's like a little mid-morning snack because she breaks her fucking balls <laughs> and then they all laugh about it. So hard. Yeah, the moment she's there, like, ah, I feel bad for myself. Get out of my sight. I, I love the coffee thing. <laughs> you want to have great. a listen to it? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> then realized my new aide can't find her way around a battle star. So I'm just around. I'm not finished speaking. <laughs> Gotta set that tone. I know why you're here. You're here because you think this job is a stepping stone to a still better one. Which she literally said, by the way. Let me yep. pause. So let me guess. You had your mother pull some strings, and she... My mother's dead, sir. She died of cancer. Yes, I know. I read the papers. <laughs> and while I'm nice very try. sorry for your loss, mm-hmm. you'd be well advised to make that the last time you attempt to play on my sympathies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Me, Brutal. I'm a hell of a lot sorry for myself. Nice. Mr. Hoshi. Sir? Can you please direct this lieutenant to her quarters? Yes, sir. I couldn't look less like a Hoshi. (laughs) And then, of course, she collects her shit and walks out. But this stuff right here where they laugh about it, I love this shit. Love it. (laughs) A little mid-morning snack. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just haze in there. That's good shit. Unnecessary hazing, though. You know, <laughs> right, right, and Setting I just like tone. the right. I like the writing there, where it's like, <clears throat> don't try to play on my sympathies. I know your mother's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, that's. I mean, that really gets across the way Kane in a uh, <laughs> the way Kane operates uh, as a commander of that. Basically, all these other concerns do not matter. Have your eyes on your job. Like, I don't care. I don't care yeah. about anything else. Yep. And this is where we see the attack. We see the other two base stars completely destroyed. And uh, and we see them kind of jump away, 
Yeah. Blind jump, which is some scary shit, but she forces Shaw to do it, which, I mean, saved them because there were two incoming nukes for them. Yep. And man, when they start talking about the damage, it's so bad. Oh, yeah. Just like catastrophic damage. But but let's talk about Kendra's life under Kane, because I think the Kane-Kendra connection matters. Right. We don't need to talk about the Lee stuff. We can kind of get to that later. Well, I mean, she starts proving herself pretty much from the point where after the attack and they've gotten away, like we were saying, it's it's Shaw who discovers, you know, the network. Uh, I, I love that. Yeah. It shows her competence pretty quickly because exactly. you're thinking, okay, is she going to be, she, she has a confidence about her. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing you kind of like about her. I mean, I like that Kane even eyed that, that, that part of her character that she's very much looking to, to jump up in her career and just kind of, you know, keep blasting forward. And you're like, I kind of want to, you know, put the kibosh on that in one sense, as far as like, no, don't just be looking towards the next thing. Keep your eyes on your job. But also you do have ambition and you are competent. Like you're a smart person looking to do well. Uh, but she's just kind of reminding her that don't take this as just a step. Take it seriously. Right. It quickly becomes known to Kane and her crew, we're, we're in a tough spot, so let's, um, we're going to fight. And, and, and I like the little montage where we see Kane sort of wearing the commander's strife as she tours the devastation of the ship and then deciding that she's going to, you know, make this move. And that's when we see the, the little subplot that we know is going to come to fruition in a bad way for Six or Gina, as she's known. But this little staff dinner that she's invited to. And this is where Shaw starts picking up on it. And I like that. We see her clear observations. She's like, oh, I thought we were being discreet. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that's cute. It's pretty (laughs) obvious to anybody in the room. Right. But uh, (laughs) what's the mission? What, What ends up being her mission under Kane? Well, I mean, she's she's promoted under her pretty quickly, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Yep, she I mean, is. She, yeah. Wait, what's that? She is. Uh, and do you know why she's promoted? Well, <laughs> well, not not completely promoted. We know that Fisk's uh, Fisk ends up with the job. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, for the as far as the XO goes, yeah, yeah. But it's it's Colonel Belzen who sees this overwhelming battle coming to them. Right, like the uh, the sheer size of the the Raider force. Yeah. That they're going to be completely outgunned. Outgunned, and their guns aren't even responding to controls as well as they are supposed to be. Right, because even Kane at one point is just like, all right, make a manual, fucking put firing teams on them. But no, instead, she paints the CIC with this guy's fucking brains with his own gun. Dude, that shit. That, see, now that was a moment of, of execution that was so good because, like we said, like I remember this story. I remember Fisk telling Saul this whole story. Absolutely. But seeing it happen, seeing her demand his pistol, pistol from him, and she's like, now, and just taking it and unhesitatingly just wasting him in front of everybody and immediately giving, all right, Fisk, you're my new XO. My order still stands. It's Will a, you execute it? It's a turning point in this sort of revisitation of Kane because- how does it make you feel? I mean, I mean, I think you've said it. I mean, that is the point of kind of no return with Kane. We are right. like, okay, you've committed to this new level of like, this is Kane at war versus peacetime Kane. Right. And she and kind a, of makes that distinction right here and now that the, all of our lives are on the line. And, appara- and apparently at war with everyone. One, one of the things I think would have been interesting to see with Kane in this episode would have been, what is it that motivates her? Right. We, we never really get that yeah. inkling. We just understand that she is motivated as an officer. Uh, she, she 
I, I want to say that she's a rounded character and she does have a POV and she does have perspective. I just don't think they did a lot with her to make mm-hmm. us go, oh, I mean, yes, she's scorned by, by six, but I mean, okay, how long were you with her? <laughs> well, you know, what I think they tried to do, and this is one of those things where I'm like, I see where you're trying to go with this and I, I like, I'm picking up what you're laying down, but I don't think you laid down quite enough. Um, I think the whole flashback of Kane talking about doing what you have to do. And, and we, we see, you know, at the same time, how we get to see Adama, what he was doing on the last day of the first Cylon war, we get this moment of seeing where, you know, Kane was in the last day of the Cylon war. And, there's this moment when the the Cylons are descending upon them, and her little sister gets you know she falls down and gets stuck, but you know in some rubble, and she doesn't really have enough time to go back and save her without putting herself at risk, and she abandons her sister, and her sister is gone after that, and th- I feel like they're setting that up to be this moment of, and this is why Kane is a person who doesn't shy away from the drastic measures. And I think it's kind of like this long, this lifelong rationalization of how and why she left her sister behind, that she you know, has told herself for decades that I had to do it. And in a sense, she was right. I mean, she survived because of, because of turning away from her sister, and she probably wouldn't have made it. She probably would have been gunned down, but she's still extremely guilty about it. And I think we're seeing the continual rationalization of, nope, do what must be done it is the hard choice. Don't shy away from the hard choice. Kind of, kind of even Starbuckish in the sense of plunging headlong into the destructive, painful stuff as a as a way of bearing it. Like just plunging into it without even thinking, almost. And it kind of goes back to our Kill Bill Two coverage, which is you know you can put on whatever you're going to put on, but you're still what you are, right? And I think that's Kane to a T. She might even be haunted by that past, yet she continues to make those same types of decisions, despite the fact that it it it's something she feels tremendous guilt over. At least we're supposed to believe that anyway. Right. No, I think I think that's what they were trying to get across was the fact that she deals with that that pain and that guilt by just kind of embracing it, like like taking a bite out of it almost. Um right. but, but the problem with all this is that I feel like I'm connecting parts that they hadn't fully connected. You know, like I feel like I'm kind of putting the pieces together for mm-hmm. them and that's why I'm like, eh, I'm a little unconvinced by right, it. Right, right. I, I you know, totally I, hear you there. Right, it's like I feel like I'm, I'm doing work for them and I feel like that comes from just what the format of this is. It's, it's a one-off uh, and they're having to like, all right, we're gonna have to justify this character, get a scene in there that does. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I still, yeah, I, it's... <sighs> I, I just, I struggle. <laughs> you, feel, I, you seem torn about Kane. I am. I, and I always have been. Right. I always have she's, been. She's a tough character, man. She's a tough one. To, I like her. To I, I, I think she's interesting. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's like, on the one hand, you think, cool, she's doing what she can for her people and she'll do anything, including killing somebody who doesn't want to follow an order that he thinks is questionable. But, I mean, isn't there a bit of a paradox there? But, by what? you're trying to protect, you know, everything and win, but you're killing somebody at the same time that you're supposed to be protecting and serving. Like it's mm, right. 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 It's a, she's paradoxical. And I think that's why I like thinking about her so much. And, you know, one of the things we've uh, talked about recently in the Lost Driving podcast is that I, I sometimes to a fault try to apply my own logical framework to other people, even if they're fictional. And, and I, and it confounds me. You know, because I always have to remember people are different. They don't think like you and, and don't think for other people or don't assume you don't assume that they're rational actors. Right. That's right. I, I do like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, 
by and large, I think if you, I think if people are left alone, I think they're pretty decent. I think people can handle freedom, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And there's always going to be outliers and, and exceptions and shitheads. But I think people want pretty much a peaceful existence the world over. <laughs> I don't think that's a controversial right. or groundbreaking statement. This just <laughs> in, Dean thinks people want to be left alone. Wow. What a, you write a book, you fucking dickhead. But no, <laughs> my, my point is that, that Kane confounds me yeah. because yeah. I don't, but then, then again, I don't have the experience of, of insubordination where life and death was on the line. Right. So it's hard right. for me to make a judgment call here other than I always, I always, one, one of the things I always try to do when I apply whatever logic I have to anything in life is I always say, why is this a false dichotomy? This seems to be, I don't want to say it is, but it seems to be a false dichotomy. He follows the order or dies. Could you, could you lock him up? Could you demote <laughs> him? Could you, you know, it's always in, in that I'm always, I, I just, I don't like making binary decisions like that. And it's hard yeah. for me to rationalize when people make them. But right. again, because then you then you get locked into an argument uh, over only those two options as well, as if there's nothing else. Like, right? That's 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 false dichotomy. That's politics. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it sure is. <laughs> and it's like I don't, I don't, I don't love that. I don't love that you're with us or against us. You know, bullshit. And um, right. And in the and in into unhesitant. I mean, it says something. I don't. I don't know if she's a psychopath. I don't know what it is. Like, you know, it's so hard to pin it on her. I think, I think some people will probably scream listening to this going, no, she's doing what she think is right. She believes if she doesn't shoot that guy in the head, and I guess I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, that they will all die. Mm-hmm. So it's just to her, it's just a simple method of this is the way it has to be done. But I mean, she, I mean, I, I got to imagine, I mean, to, to take that bold of a step. I mean, obviously her and her XO were, were also fairly close. He talked to, he mentioned, you know, briefly about like, oh, the yeah. wife and my wife and kids would love to see you again. Like they are not just like, oh, they're just assigned together. They've known each other, and, you know, for a long time. And at this moment of insubordination, she just, like we said, unhesitatingly kills him. And I got to imagine that her philosophy of, of, you know, order during wartime is that it could just absolutely stone cold black and white cannot be questioned like you have to carry out the order this is this is war and you know any deliberation then is we don't have time for it yeah maybe i think i don't know if it's a again I, i'm speaking out of school and i don't really know but i think i know people decently enough and i think if this is the environment you create from a leadership perspective again i don't have uh, military leadership training uh, i <laughs> i only i only have uh, have it in what was once the corporate world and that's if you create an environment in which people feel like they cannot challenge a decision or at least venture different ideas, then you sort of create this weird dictatorship and you yeah. stifle creativity and, and other thinking. And I don't know if wasting your XO because he's like, what? And, and so I don't know. I don't know. I, I think personally, I don't think it's the right move, but that's no, easy. Me neither. <laughs> that's easy for me to say. <laughs> I right, always think right. you could have said, take him to the brig. I think Adama goes, take him to the brig. Yep, he did it to yeah. tie, right? You're relieved. Yeah, I, I mean, I could totally imagine. And I mean, then he I, fixes I see, it. You know, like I, there's no right. going back when you fucking blow his brains all over the chart, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Maybe it was years of built up. Yeah, you know, I never liked the way you combed your hair. You fuck, like just the little annoyances yeah. that uh, finally just boiled over. Didn't I don't like know. Wife insulted could, him at dinner. You know, and didn't <laughs> Kane didn't like that. I caught you eyeing Trisha Helfer's legs at the dinner table. You fuck. <laughs> you frack. So yeah, um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it, 
it doesn't engender her to me. It doesn't make oh, me more sympathetic to her. Not. <laughs> and, and the only reason <laughs> I, I'm bringing all this up is because I was wondering if Pegasus was going to show us something. Not uh, Pegasus. If Razor was going to show us something a little bit different. No, yeah, me too. That was my, like I was saying, that was my one expectation going in. I thought we were going to get this like, uh, okay, we're going to finally get this more sympathetic picture of Kane uh, and see more of her than we ever have that makes us question our initial impression of her. And I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> I I feel like I understand her slightly better, but uh, I still feel pretty much the same way about her, that, uh, that she goes in a direction that I would not get behind. Right. So there's that. And mm-hmm. then there's the, well, I guess this is the type of, your, your command has created a particular culture. And boy, what the fuck? Can we talk about the civilian ship thing? Dude, yeah. That is that is truly. I mean, if the XO is already like, okay, I'm I'm pretty much tapping out. Uh, the civilian shift, the way that it is handled, is like I'm running away from this. This is you've got a fucking mess on your hands. Right. Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty unhinged. I don't know how much further you can go. Like full scale genocide of the entire civilian fleet. I don't know. Like, what more can you do? You're marching down a pretty awful path. Yeah, and. And Fisk makes it pretty clear we're we're dealing with whole families here, but this scene is interesting because it's sh- because one of the things we kind of went by in this mini backstory is that six ends up getting exposed by the camera. The other six joins the attack. By the way, terrible planning by the Cylons. <laughs> Dude, hey, yeah, hey Cylons, double check the mission. Double check where your assets are stationed. Your sleeper Cylons. Not, it's not even a right. sleeper. She's full-blown, like, working Cylon. She's not a boomer. She's, like, infiltrated. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't understand. I mean, for one, Cylon logic, there's so much there that I don't understand that I don't think we're meant to. It's but just a huge tactical the, blunder, it would seem. Why are you sending in humanoid Cylons at all? What are you doing? I don't understand that. I'm like, isn't this just a, an invasion and you're going to you know blast into the ship and try to either destroy it or take it over by force and i'm like why why do you need humanoid cylons at all isn't that a toaster job kind of kills the whole like we are telepathically connected link that you used to bat around in season two huh? i know <laughs> either that or they got shitty reception they didn't get the right wi-fi password <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, fuck. i should have went dumbs. with verizon for my uh for my cylon mind to mind bullets instead of sprint <laughs> God damn it. So <laughs> many dead zones. I was gonna throw Sprint on the bus too. I have Sprint. I actually, I actually kind of like him. Nah, but, yeah, scumbag. <laughs> Just <kidding. laughs> the noble Verizon. Yes, and truly, my corp, my chosen corporate overlord's better than your chosen corporate overlord. Uh, and they sit back, put their feet up, and laugh as we do it. And they fucking love it. Ford and Chevy, that fucking retarded thing. They lighting their it. cigars with poor people bills. Fucking clanging the martini glasses together, getting blowjobs onto the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's official. Verizon is run by the Wolf of Wall Street. All right. <laughs> I want you to pick up that telephone. Yeah, <laughs> and overcharge some guy for 4G. <laughs> with her big voluptuous tits. <laughs> that fucking scene's so funny. But anyway, one of the things uh, we know is obviously we've we hinted at it at the top. We we turned Thorn loose on her, and he's just banging her up, and every which way you can imagine, <laughs> fucking filming his own version of eight millimeter. That guy, yeah, boy. Just got Nick Cage it, sitting why does in the it chair. not surprise me that Kane has a sadistic psychopath on board for just putting the boots to people, dude? What's crazy? Yeah, exactly. Who is this man? 
who is this fucking guy? Who is like, oh, I have a prisoner, an unarmed, chained up prisoner that needs a good beating. And he's like, oh, boy, I can't, boy, my time has come. Not just beating. Pain. Degradation. Yeah. 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 Pretty fucking gnarly. Line them up. Line up the boys. Yeesh. Oof, Can't any fucking around, is she? Boy, but yeah. when she's talking to Fisk, is my point, they deliberately show Six beat up in the cage. Right. And I think that's supposed to harden Kane's resolve because Fisk reports families and she says, well, we'll shoot the families. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she is really, I tell you, that, that, that Gina, that Trisha, that, well, that's atomic energy right there. <laughs> Seriously. Kane's Kane's little locomotive is plugging along on steam power. Oh no. Uh-uh, not anymore. Trisha's launching in that thing in the fucking stratosphere, that anger is launching oh. off the tracks. Man. <laughs> Get it uh, done, Colonel. Damn. Cut click. <laughs> if only you'd known, Kane. So what the fuck? This is yeah. another scene I don't quite understand. Yeah, no, see, now this is the moment for me. I mean, like I said, this is, I mean, worse. Already... this is worse than the first officer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and trust me, if I'm on this ship, I'm already looking for like, okay, can we just fucking, can I slip out of here? <laughs> I'm going to go AWOL because she just blew away her fucking XO and I'm a fucking janitor. What would she do to me? Um, but at this point, especially, I'm like, wow, I'm fully tapped out on your command. I mean, she she acts as if there is, again, kind of we come back to the idea of a false dichotomy. She acts as if there is no other option of, okay, that we've come across a, you know, a small civilian fleet. We have to go ahead and take everything that we need from them. I'm like, boy, have you forgot about the idea of trade or cooperation or anything? I mean, shit, you're the military. You're the only military that they know of and probably even think exists. I feel like it would be very easy to come in and say, hey, we're the battle star. All right, we can protect you guys and you, you can stay behind us and you know we will we will guide you. But in return, we're going to need help. We need supplies. We need you know, Our ship has been damaged. Help us out. I'm like, did that not even cross your mind to just like talk to them? No, instead I they... Mean, she, they act like pirates, man. They're like, okay, well, we got to go in there and we have to act decisively because they're going to realize as we're rolling in with raptors and marines that we are not here to have a peaceful exchange. Fucking, I'm, waiting, like, for, Jesus, I'm waiting for my guy Dylan to be all like, 10 soldiers and Nick's in common. Yeah, you know, <laughs> fucking Kent State song there. Just fucking, fucking wasting them all. It's crazy. <laughs> How dare they protest? Yeah, I, yeah this is so, so it, it, it does create, it's funny because I, I'm, I'm trying to explore many feelings in this one because we know that Kendra Shaw pulled the trigger first, maybe. Yeah, man. Oof. I think first. I'm like, yeah. So, oh no, she was the. That's that's the main thing she holds guilt for. It. Everybody in the room, even Fisk, were kind of glancing back and forth at Marines and a Marine being like, "What do what do we do here?" And she's the one to pull out the pistol and fire the first shot and you know break the ice when it comes to a civilian sure. murder, pretty much. Yeah, but I'm kind of like, ugh. Oh yeah, it's it's awful. <laughs> it's, it, it it puts me in a tough position for the entire episode, though. Mm. Like I love watching bastards. You know that about me. I love movies that were focusing on bastards. Bastards. He's or, just or, drunk. Or <laughs> he's getting drunk. That's all. Or or bitches. It don't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. I can watch. You know, I I can watch whatever. In, Dude, in, that's a podcast right there. Movies about villains, just called bastards and bitches. That's good. Damn. Trademark. Trademark. You can't take that, listener. It's mine. <laughs> Trademark, because I said it out loud. But yeah, it's 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 just like, ugh. It makes it hard for me to give a fuck about her. 
And <laughs> the move in, in like this episode doesn't tell you right here that she did that. They just show her sweating. Like maybe she got swept up in it and, and they did the damage and she was a bystander. Right. Yeah, that's, Cause that's how it's first presented as her standing over the, the, the bodies. Right. Um, and you know, as if she's been traumatized just by like the scene of it and being there and, and seeing all these, you know, innocent killed people that she's a part of. But yeah, then we come back to the revelation that she started it. She kicked off the massacre. Right. Um, and I feel like it's probably why she's jamming I, a syringe in her neck. Pretty much. Um, and you know, for me, again, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I, I have no sympathy for her on that. I'm like, that was just objectively terrible. The thing you did is awful what you did. I don't have sympathy Here's for why. you. Here's why. Can I jump in on this? Yeah. Here's why I think it's objectively terrible. Because we are, and this seems to be the case when we're dealing with the Pegasus. We, yeah. We, we seem to have been presented, we, we, we don't seem to be exploring any other options where there seem to be possible options from a writing standpoint. Like, I understand if the Olympic carrier is barreling down towards the Battlestar Galactica and you have no fucking idea if it's going to blow up or not, you have intelligence that says it probably will, and you literally can do nothing. Yeah. That's good you're, writing. That right, because your you, options are limited by external factors. Correct. Like you, you've got nothing else you can A- choose from. Absolutely. You, 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 you eliminate, I, my mind doesn't, I'm not a writer, Okay. I but but if my mind starts thinking, wait, boom, 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 how does that not come up when you're sort of composing the scene? I understand on Monday morning quarterbacking some writing here, but I but I am honestly and intellectually just sort of asking the universe, right? Do you know or what like I mean? If like I, if I can imagine the option, why isn't it uh, been discussed? You know, right? Because I'm not fucking special. Is my point <laughs> exactly? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if fucking dingbat over here, this, if my if my fucking dingus ass can. Can think. Wait a minute. You couldn't have just. I mean, you had five people on their knees. Get the rest on their knees. Put put a gun in a civilian's mouth. They're gonna fucking move. Right. They're gonna comply. <laughs> they're not. They're not gonna die. They're, you know what but, I mean? It's like just fucking move them. And again, I mean, I feel like the like the thing I already said of like you guys are the only military force in in town for the foreseeable future. Um, they need you. Like they need protect. These are unarmed, you know, non-gunned civilian ships. I, I feel like you know the back pocket, you know, trick that you have is, hey, we can protect you. Stick with us, and we can protect you. But also, we're going to require your help. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, isn't that enough? <laughs> Do you really have to start killing people? Yeah, I mean, even a even if you want to go, you know, with the fucking hard on, <sighs> and you crush the butt of your weapon into their face, right? guys spitting dude, chiclets and then you go oh okay <laughs> I probably should listen chiclets. you know dude you know <laughs> rest another- of our dogs here's what you do some bitch gives you static ram the end of your gun off her nose blood squirts everybody everywhere nobody else says fucking shit that's exactly <laughs> exactly right <laughs> ah, Carvey Keitel gets it he gets it and you know another thought that that crossed my mind thinking about Kane and as far as you know her decision making style and again I what I'm about to say I already even have a problem with it myself because I feel like I'm putting pieces together that the show has only left crumbs right. of and I'm like right. eh, I'm kind of doing work for you and I'm not sure about that but one of the things it's it's gotten me thinking about is maybe this is just supposed to represent to us Kane's worldview as far as she only sees this option because she's the kind of ruthless vigilante who sees the world this way and probably thinks that they see it that way of, you know, they're not going to want to cooperate with us. They're going to want to guard their own and we're going to need to take it. 
um, and not even, it. you know, so blinded by that kind of like vindictive worldview that you don't even consider the possibilities. Of, well, maybe we can negotiate, we can barter, we can work something out. So, so let me see if I understand you correctly. You're saying maybe what the episode is trying to do is perhaps shed some of her POV onto us by way of showing how this goes down. Right. That, I, get you know, she, I get what you're saying. Yeah. That, yeah, it. that she makes this choice thinking that she has to make this choice when the rest of us are going, well, there's other options, there's other possibilities. Why aren't you thinking about them? Because that's who she is. Like, mm-hmm. that's how she sees the world. And that's how, it actually kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier, uh, something that we all do. And I think more, the more self-aware you are, the more you do this, where you kind of check yourself as far as like, well, this is how I see the situation, but that's probably not necessarily how this other person sees the situation. And I think Kane, one of her flaws as a person, and, you know, but just from the pieces I can pick up from the <laughs> the decisions she makes, uh, is that she sees the world one way and thinks that everybody else sees it that way as well. As this combative, fucking no holds barred. If we need something and they have it, we're just gonna have to take it, like rip maybe, it out of their hands. Maybe it's also that Kane sees the world one way and knows the enormous responsibility that she has, and thus expects people to comply with her decision making because she's at the top of the hierarchy. I'm sorry, say that again? Like, in other words, I don't know if she, I don't think she cares how people see it. I think Kane is, I think Kane is, I think Kane is confident in her decision-making. She doesn't dilly-dally. She makes very confident and bold decisions, even if they're not always right. And I think she expects you to comply because she's at the top of the hierarchy that you guys are all within. I don't even think she's like, oh, I know you see it my way. I think she's like, I don't care if you see it my way start seeing it my way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I think to, that's m- more like Kane in, in a sense. No, I agree. Yeah, I don't think she cares about public perception of her views, but I, I think it's more just that that's internal. Like we're kind of, you you have enough here to, um, to see how she sees the world from within. Okay. And yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Again, though, I feel like I'm like, eh, I'm kind of putting pieces together that aren't no, but all that's, the way there. But, but, it's, but yeah. that's what we're doing. It's fun. If, if you don't get the pieces, you you speculate onto the pieces. We have a podcast about Battlestar Galactica, so don't you don't have to worry about checking yourself on that kid. <laughs> but yeah, this this whole thing just breaks bad so quickly, and then I mean, probably unexpectedly, Shaw is praised for this by Kane. <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Here's oh, yeah. a knife. Well done for killing civilians." Yeah, dude. And see again that that's see, that's Kane's worldview. It wasn't a matter of. Oh my God! You killed civilians. Like, no, you just you did a really hard thing that most people wouldn't do, and you did the more brutal choice, which a lot of people are scared to make, and that is commendable because I'm Kane. <laughs> That's how I see the world, right? And and I have a junior officer here. I don't want to go off the fucking deep end, so I want to reassure her that she made a difficult but necessary choice, right? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. I think that she is patting her on the back as far as like, you probably feel guilty about this, but I want you to know you have my backing. You are the kind of officer I want. Yeah, let's have a listen. Sometimes we have to do things that we never thought we were capable of. If only to show the enemy our will. <laughs> Yesterday you showed me Damn. that you were it's capable true. of setting aside your fear, setting aside your hesitation, and even your revulsion. Every natural inhibition that during battle can mean the difference between life and death. 
I like this whole metaphor coming up here with a knife. Oof, you're the razor. Yep. When you can be this, <laughs> as long as you have to be, then you're a razor. I get it, it's the title. <laughs> oh shit, dude! I just dude. Wait, it. I'm just getting this now, dude. Back oh, it up, dude. Shit, dude. Dude, it's called Razor. It's, it's a. Ra it's called Razor because she has a knife, dude. Ah, hold on, you fucker. Tight. Don't talk during the dialogue, you banana head. <laughs> Quiet. Quiet on the set. This war is forcing us all to become razors, because if we don't, we don't survive. Oh, I get. And then we don't have the luxury of becoming simply human again. Do you understand me? So what you're telling me is definitely kill more civilians if I have to. Got it. I want you to be a razor and cut swaths of destruction through every pile of civilians and family, any children that get in your way. Yeah. Cut through them for the greater good. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. Yep. That's what's happening, Matt. What are you going to do? You know? <laughs> it's brutal. Yep. But yeah, she is definitely feeling a lot more guilt about this than I think Kane has ever felt. I mean, uh, she's developed an addiction to what I can only assume is space heroin. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, oh, <laughs> some oh. hardcore fracking H straight to the neck. Yeah. See if I can find it. Wait, which part are you looking for? Ready? Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> Hit it. Is this flicking the needle? This is it. This is what's going through her head when she stabs a needle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I definitely don't hear the sound of child's brain matter slapping on the concrete floor. Now that I've done this. <laughs> four dead in Ohio, or in this case, four dead on a Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Uh, I pulled off iTunes for that. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Yoink. Sorry, Neil Young. Love you. Yeah, that's all she thinks about is that song when she's jamming that needle in her neck to fucking <laughs> assuage herself of the guilt just one last time. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of... It, I think. Is that the last we see of the Kane Kendra backstory? I mean, yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, because then we start tying in a lot more to the, the as close to present as it gets in here, uh, more recent as far as Battlestar uh, timeline. Yeah, absolutely. With the operation of the, the old Guardian Centurions. Yeah, that's, um, that's a part. Yeah, this is interesting. Talk to me. I mean, for one, I just think it's cool to see the old-fashioned looking Cylons for once in the show. I'm like, ah, that's a cool little throwback. Like, it was just kind of cool to see. Um, but that yeah, guy, I mean, we, that guy's kind of awesome as Adama, isn't he? Dude, he's kind he of. He was awesome. a good young Adama. He, um, he had the voice down without overdoing it. He did by far the gr most gravelly voiced 25 year old in the fleet. You got to yeah. imagine. Well, you know, smoking will do that. <laughs> there you go. But smoking, he does booze, dude. dip, you name it. A little Copenhagen. <laughs> A little bit of the, oh my God, a little bit of the spitter. 
Uh, but he nails it, dude. Yeah, he's he's actually really solid. And this was just it was just cool to see him on a fucking operation, you know, doing this mission in the final day of the Cylon War. Fucking awesome collision midair fighting a Cylon Centurion as they fall. I kind of hated that part. Really? I actually I mean, the effects, yeah, they're a little dated. But I I think the, I it, think you know, you know what it is. I think I think it was a little bit like your reach has extended your grasp. Yeah, or, or no, say, I, I, say it backwards. As as far as the as the effects go, yeah, I would actually agree. But the concept of it is so cool that I give it a pass. I'm like, I just like it. I just like seeing him in free fall punching a centurion. That's just so gnarly. Yeah, it's a little. I mean, I'll get. I'll even give it to you that it's like it's so action movie that it feels slightly outside of BSG. But I like it. <laughs> I just it's fun. It's fucking fun. Let me have this, Dean. I'll let you have it. It's fine. It's fun I and yummy. And I, I want like. It. Look, to be clear, I liked all of it up until that moment. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny. You talked about this at the beginning, but you're talking about, damn, man, like they budgeted up for this shit. They did, dude. I mean, they go all the way down. Him smashing the the, the Centurion's head off with a fucking pipe, all Terminator Two style. So, Good. can we talk about this just in general? We're talking about how it's executed and cool and we get to see this cool fight and this blue-eyed husker doing battle 40 some odd years ago oh yeah but can we talk about what what is this this is what will lead us to this i have some dialogue that i've written down Ooh. so boomer says that a force of centurions escape being scrapped guardians they guarded a hybrid an entity that represents a first step in our evolution from pure machines to organic beings from them to us. Now, remember, this takes place in the second season, this conversation. Indeed. And Lee asks, a silent missing link? To which Boomer says, more like an evolutionary dead end. They were There were other hybrids created to control our base ships before the experiment was abandoned, but this one was the first, and some think it's still alive. Protected by these guardians in that it is still seeking its own way to evolve. To which Adama says, I recall an op. The last operation of the war, Galactica was part of a task force that destroyed a Cylon base. I was on that mission. Cylons were supposed to be building a super weapon. 41 years ago, this cocksucker's mine gets away with that. <laughs> we see Husker kicking some ass. Uh, the Columbia gets destroyed. People screaming over the comm was super disturbing. Oh, that dude, was cool. Yeah. And uh, we see Husker's got some chops. He does a, does a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, in a in a really cool action sequence, but this lends him down in this sort of like Nazi Mengele Cylon lab. Dude, fucking hey, it looks like Hellraiser down here. It really does. So this is well, yeah. one of those. Uh, <laughs> he never mentioned this for two seasons. Yeah, I'll give you that. You, you kind of like you, wow. Never? This is one of those. This is one of those times where they don't do it a lot in this in this particular episode. But yeah. yeah. I would say the show in general has been good about that. Of Absolutely. like, you know, every now and then uh, a thing happens. And I think our most glaring example was the the episode uh, where where Adam was getting all those flashbacks with his wife, and you're like, really, all this all the time? This right. is what happens. <laughs> right. like, that's a little ridiculous. Um, but yeah, normally I think it avoids this pretty well. Um, but yeah, I, I am kind of with you as far as like it's odd that this would have just been introduced now. Um, because I, well, shit, it's also one of those things it's hard to remember. Cause I'm like, I can't remember how much they knew in season two, if they were aware of the hybrids existence yet. Um, because these are, these are also not, 
you know, they're not talking about the same kind of human Cylon hybrid that like, you know, Hilo and, and Sharon have, but the kind that they have engineered that navigates their ship that babbles in the, the fucking water that, you know, Gaia saw. Jump. <laughs> mm-hmm. just, jump, 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 jump. I'm just an oracle in the goo. Yeah. Well, remember, Adama is, I believe, the first one to understand that Cylons are people. Because oh, of his right. interaction with yeah. Leoben in the miniseries, so I will I will definitely lend some creative uh, some creative what am I trying to say leniency there, right? He's like, that uh, the idea uh, of him having seen Cylon operations on people isn't utterly shocking to him, you know, yep. uh, and that he might have held back on the story because he's kind of aware that everybody has is at least knowledgeable of human model Cylons, right? There's that, right, right. It's just this this operation where you find this crazy Mengele lab, and, and so here's a, here's there's a couple of things I don't like about this lab scene. Number one, where where it is knowledge that probably should be mentioned in the rest of the show. Number two, he gets into this sort of Hellraiser lab, and he just imagines what happened here. Yeah, that it's was kind of weird, odd. right? Like we, <laughs> he's going, "Oh, this is probably what happened here." And are we going, oh, that's what happened here? Yeah, or is this I what think, he just imagines happened here when he's looking around at the cages? No, I think, yeah, it's supposed to be sort of like, oh, he's, this is supposed to almost be us seeing his thought process of like, oh, these cut up bodies, they must be in here cutting them up and experimenting on them. Like this is him envisioning what happened there. The only thing that I found weird was the hand grabbing him and then disappearing. Right. I, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. That one's odd. I can't make sense. We're getting to too cute. It's getting too cute here. Get a little cute. <laughs> a little cute. Um, now, would there have been a problem with having people in cages and this actually happening? It would have been cool for him to walk in on this guy chopping up a guy. I mean, it's fucking right. brutal. That he has to fight another Cylon that's been <laughs> fucking sure. doing work. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. But instead, it's just sort of him imagining what's happening. And maybe he was imagining, I don't know if he's imagining his hand pulled, because you, you feel like, I think it was an imagination of him getting pulled by the water. Because, yeah, I'm watching the scene now, and it just kind of, and then the voice, all of this has happened before, all of this will happen again. Obviously, right. Leoben said that many times. It probably would have been something Adama said, whoa, I heard that on a mission 40 years ago. Seriously. There's yeah. no way he doesn't remember every detail of this mission, 40 years or not. This is a traumatizing fucking mission. <laughs> Pretty fucking horrible. Yeah. Oof. Now listen. Sounds cool. The guy says it too. All of this has happened before. And will happen again. Yikes. Mm. Creepy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> New dimensions of pleasure. Open the box. I will tear your soul apart. <laughs> but he has to abandon this person and leave them behind. Um, he's trying to help them. He doesn't really get much info, which makes sense to me. Boy, it sure is handy that, that in, in the Cylon War, when you're fighting these robots, uh, that when the armistice is signed, they can just immediately mind facts that to every centurion in the universe, <laughs> and they all stop fighting. That's handy. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's really funny that they're in the midst of a massive battle and also at the table suing for peace. <laughs> right? They still <laughs> the just fuck? have ongoing operations. <laughs> like, yeah, we're still we're going to keep killing until the last second, though. <laughs> Imagine that. Some fucking mechanized German armies rolling through somewhere 
just killing everyone while they're also signing a peace treaty with the same people <laughs> Pretty sure uh, every single Geneva Convention is being shattered, but uh, I guess we'll keep negotiating. I mean, that seems utterly bonkers to me, but I'm not it a is. military history expert, so I, I, that seems completely unrealistic to me. But whatever. Again, again, a little silly. It's a little silly. It's a little bu- The Husker stuff's a little silly once he hits the planet side. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what do you I'll do? take more Husker missions though. I'll watch that. I will. I'll play I that would, video game. I, I would I would love to see more about that. If they just if they just kept it a little simpler, a little cleaner, I would be, yeah, sure. I'll I'll watch that. I'm interested. Game. <laughs> I'm game. But um yeah, that's that's his entire mission. Yeah. Which he, he brings the, up here. And the, he's like, Oh, well the the armistice was signed, I was in the place where they made that thing. I'm not gonna let them make it again. And Lee says, Okay, well, I guess we should probably make a plan. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, too, I, mean, I don't know if we've mentioned that they have lost, uh, I think, a couple of Raptor crews, and they think that they may have been taken by these particular uh, you know, Cylon guardians and are probably being experimented on. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, absolutely. So there's a couple things that, that has to happen in this. Bill gives Lee that, originally, that SNR mission, the search and rescue science team saying a supernova is overdue, right? Boy, a lot of supernovas on this show lately. Mm. <laughs> you got, of all the damn stars in the universe you guys could be near, you're always near one about to pop. Yep. Damn. Um, and this is more uh, more of the Shaw stuff. So with 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 if we just take Lee, I mean, the, the Adama Husker thing aside, put that aside. If we kind of just go through Shaw's life with Lee and the Galactica, or the Pegasus, rather. Right. We, we see them do this mission. It's... You know, it's a simple, we're going to bolt if we want to bolt. But Shaw is like, why aren't we engaging? So Shaw has that, we, we see that play it out well with Shaw. She has that cane in her still. Oh, which yeah. Is the, why I mean, she's straight up engaging? Right. I mean, she straight up says that, you know, you you put me on as XO, which I actually do think is an interesting decision by Lee. And probably even, a at least at first blush, a good one uh, of, you know, trying to kind of have some some transition between the leadership of, you know, I'm a person. We talked about this back when it happened, when he was made the commander of the Pegasus. And we were like, uh, that seems like a risky decision considering the animosity the Pegasus crew has towards you guys. This looks like some shady nepotism uh, that they're going <laughs> to fucking hate. Uh, and I think it was a good choice on Lee of, all right, let's take an established, you know, she has a reputation among the crew. Not necessarily even a good one, but a very well-established reputation among Pegasus. And he's like, I'll have you be my exo. I want them to know that I am still a, a part of this and, you know, kind of adopting Kane's point of view and trying to understand where the crew's coming from. Yeah. Um, I think that was his, his choice there. And I think that's an interesting one. But she even straight up says like it to it. him of like, yeah. And and she says to him like I I am Kane's legacy like you you picked this me. This scene and that, is I, I really good, huh? This is a good scene. The oh, one between exactly. Shaw and Lee is really good that you're about to talk about. Right, I like it. I like it a lot. And you know, her telling him that I am you know her <laughs> essentially descendant here. Like I'm going to carry forward with the way she she does things, and you need to be essentially prepared for that. <laughs> like uh, that's that's what you you got by picking me. Um, but it, I also really like Lee's response. It's such like, a good response. Such a good one. He's like, oh, I, I didn't know you were the only lieutenant in the entire fleet that's had to make a hard choice. It's so good, dude. He puts so, her in a dude, fucking place. I, I, I fucking was ready to applaud. I was like, mm, that's Shall good we? shit. Good shit, Lee. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> you said you wanted to send a message to this ship's crew about respecting Kane's legacy. I am Kane's legacy. I'm alive because of the choices she made. 
So is everyone else on this ship. Tell you something else? Kane wouldn't have blinked twice at this plan. Because she knew that you don't win battles. Never mind wars without risking lives. So before he responds here, calm down. You're a fucking <laughs> lieutenant. Relax. You're talking to bit. seasoned veterans who've been in war as well. You're going to lecture him? Slow your roll, okay? Number one. Number two, come on. Will you? Please. Right. All right. Let's have it. Let's She's, hear it, Lee. Like, don't be so unapologetic. You're not infallible at a lieutenant, okay? I know. Or, or okay. ever, for that matter. You're not. You fucking open your ears for two seconds. And even though she's been through some shit, let's not keep, let's not forget. She's been a part of the military for 10 months. Yeah, you've been there for a fucking weekend real quick, though. (laughs) I get it. You got big brown eyes, nice juicy lips. You think we have to listen to your bullshit because every other guy in your life did your whole life. Well, guess what? (laughs) Is that Lee's response? I don't remember that. Yeah. (laughs) He, we, obviously he, we, he knows how to mistreat women. (laughs) <laughs> the way he handled his fucking wife, a dingbat. <laughs> true. <laughs> Let's have a listen to Lee's response. Yes, sir. If you'd like my resignation, you can have it. Oh, fucking shut up. It'd be easier, wouldn't it? Yeah. Then you could go back to peeling potatoes, following in self-pity, because poor Kendra Shaw is the only officer in the fleet who ever had to make a hard call. Ooh. <laughs> well, it's not going to fly, Major. Not while I'm in command. Mm. Plans... You think you come from a tough legacy? That's a Dama speaking right there, doggy. <laughs> Daddy's been breathing down my neck since day one. <laughs> so he says, plan's risky. But right now, you're the only game in town. That's it. And it is, it is an interesting, risky plan. Like, Good I actually, I did think it was a cool kind of, uh, you know, sharp plan. Because, it's I mean, insane. the whole idea they was... fly through space. Like silver no, to, fucking to surfer? let themselves be attacked and 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 basically oh, feign yes, a yes. worse a worse damage to the ship that they were essentially going to pretend that you know, once they had their hull breached at all they were going to act as if their FTL was destroyed and start just you know manually driving the Pegasus away to draw away all the fighters and then give the Raptor room to head to the base star. I'm like that's actually a cool plan. It's definitely a fucking risky one because you're essentially just letting the the battle star take a lot of you know attack and heat. But I think it's cool. It's pretty cool. Um, and it works. Yeah, talk, talk to me about it. Well, I mean, we see it in action. Like, they do have, a, you know, one of the the raiders that I think I think are designed to, like, plow into ships. <laughs> it's like how they yeah. work. They, like, hit the side of the ship to start deploying centurions, but they take their first hit, and they're like, all right, well, that's good, that's good enough. We're going to go ahead and, and, you know, act as if we are damaged and, you know, turning tail. And they mm-hmm. do. And they're, you know, Shaw and Starbucks Raptor, you know, FTL jumps out towards the base star and away from the other ships, but they do still get pursued. And dude, I thought th- what I thought was really cool was seeing them fucking bail out of a raptor mid space being shot at. I'm like, th- again, I'm like, damn, the fun stuff you get to do with that little extra yeah, bump in budget. Yeah, That's nice. Yeah, that was cool. Shit is cool. And uh, and I know we're a little bit all over the place, but I, I I did I just wanted to shout out Starbuck by by catching Kendra and saying, oh, you're human after all, and not really judging her. That's such a Starbuck move. <laughs> totally. Like, yeah. I, the thing I like about, one of the things I admire about Starbuck is her ability to reduce everyone into the muck where they belong, because I like to do that in my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> when people get a little too like, whoa, I, I, like, I, I like that. I like that, the, the, the reality of of us, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's she's always in that like ah get off it like exactly fuck you calm down exactly and <laughs> she's like this bitch is jamming and syringe her neck and she's like eh whatever 
That's your thing. <laughs> it's true. She's like, I was down here to find a bottle. I don't give a shit. Exactly. She doesn't judge her. She's not above it. But Pretty yeah, that sight. shit where they bail, man. You're like, what the fuck? Oh, dude. And it's so, this is why I really, it's a small thing, but I thought it was really cool and smart. Like the fact that they are all tethered together. Uh, because if they weren't, they would just be right, scattered right, to the winds right. of space and you will fucking never <laughs> touch each other ever again. Uh, I thought that was, that was awesome that they found each other and how all tethered like that. It just looks cool. Yeah, it looks awesome. I thought it was cool. It was just cool to see Starbuck in action again in such a classic sense. That's, that's one of the underappreciated things about Razor that I think about now on this viewing. Agreed. Agreed. I think it was just it was awesome to to see her in the field again, in a ship, in the field. It's cool. Um, I also like this moment in Starbuck when when she tells her when they're on this mission, she says, <laughs> Kane and Kara's mom are similar, right? That comes up and Kara admits that her mom is often full of shit. <laughs> and I like that because it's almost like Starbuck is telling Shaw <laughs> that Kane's sometimes full of shit too. So don't make the whole Bible around her, you know? Right. Again, it's that ability <laughs> right. for Starbuck to reduce her to the muck, to, to level everyone off. And to, exactly. Right? And that's that's what I like about her. Like That's that's one of the things I always admire about Starbuck. And I like that it's just almost like a, she's not doing it to be a bitch to Kendra. She's just sort of trying to say, listen, relax with this whole thing. Right. You know, right. And that's you know, actually, my, you know, my mom held on to the anger so long that she had nothing left in the end. And Yes. Dude, that's just what I wanted to talk about. I actually, this is one of those things where, yes, you have to have had, you know, watched all of season three to kind of understand the the background of this and the context of it. Um, and I like it because I do, I think it adds a little bit to the the perspective of, of Kara's choice to fly into the nebula. Um, mm, this moment of, indeed. you know, thinking about her mom being a, a husk of a person that only has anger that animates her and keeps her alive and just a bitterness towards the world. It's pretty wild. Um, and her wanting to not be that way. Like, this, this is the only time I've ever heard Kara say that. Of like, mm-hmm. because, I mean, I think Kara is somebody who, you know, especially she's a little, you know, you get a couple drinks in her and she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking angry. I don't give a shit. I don't care if I die from it. Like, I, I think she does still go down that pretty self-destructive path, but in the light of day, when she's got her wits about her, she is knowledgeable of it. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to be that way. Like, I, I would rather not. Yeah. Um, and I think that that informs, you know, the the choices she makes later on with her mother. Economical use of Starbuck in this episode, for sure. Uh, yeah. Her 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 impact on the episode is is big for having such a small part in it. And I mean, I know she right. participates in this battle and all, but... But all that stuff, like fucking Kendra coming up to her with the with the knife, and being all proud that she got this knife from Kane and, and, <laughs> for and, stabbing babies, and, and Starbucks just shitting on it, like and not even in a mean way. I just love cool it. knife, dork. Awesome, yeah, cool, yeah. You're a blade, yeah, awesome, cool. Oh, I'm so an good. axe. Let's do this, <laughs> fucking dingbat. Get over uh. yourself. <laughs> but uh, what about all this hybrid stuff? Dude, I just have it in front to of me. Shall we listen? I, let's let's. You know, should we listen to it or should I read it? Because it kind of it, it gets chopped up a little bit. I think in the episode before glorious and awakening, struggling with the knowledge of the true selves, the pain of revelation, bringing new clarity, and in the midst of confusion, you will find her enemies brought together by impossible longing. Enemies now. Joined as one, the way forward, at once unthinkable, yet inevitable. And the fifth, still in shadow, will draw toward the light, hungry for redemption. 
that will only come in the howl of terrible suffering. I can see them all. The seven, now six self-described machines who believe themselves without sin. But in time, it is sin that will consume them. They will know enmity, bitterness, the wrenching agony of the one splintering into the many. And then they will join the promised land, gathered on the wings of an angel. Pretty awesome, huh? Oh, it's so good, man. And honestly, it has given me, I'm not sure if a whole new theory, but definitely expanded my theory on the Cylon plot on and what they are, are doing. And, you know, and, and like I said, it's not like a whole new thing, but I think the whole Cylon hybrid and, and especially head six with Gaius and, and talking about the, 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 the offspring of Hilo and Sharon and the importance of it is we've, we've heard them talk, especially in this episode in particular, it kind of keeps coming back. The idea of evolution, um, that, that, that essentially, the Cylons are looking to evolve, like they're trying consciously to evolve. Uh, and we, you know, we even see it from them coming from the older model centurions, making the newer centurions, to making the humanoid vo- version of Cylons. And I think they've come to the conclusion that a human and a Cylon breeding together is the next natural evolution of Cylons. Mm. That they need human beings to move forward further in their own evolution. Yeah. Um, and. I still don't know what the end of the day, what that's going to mean because it still seems like well why the animosity like if they, if that's what they if that's what their true goal is then why are they fucking trying to kill all the humans like that that part is still confusing um but I I feel like boy that's got to be one of the fundamental reasons they're doing what they're doing is that they are trying to crossbreed and you know, probably on a larger scale uh, humans and humanoid Cylons to make something new that they consider the next step forward for like their civilization, which is fascinating. Mm, interesting. I like it. Yeah. The, oh, this so hybrid is fascinating because he seems self-aware. None of yeah. the other ones do. It, it, it speaks in what am I man or am I a machine? My children believe that I am God. By the way, this guy's voice is great. Number one. He was a voiceover artist, which is fucking perfect because he's great. He Makes was Skeletor sense. in the new adventures of He-Man, by the way. Oh, really? Num- number two, it feels like a nod to Ghost in the Shell. Remember when it's doing the speech? Ooh, remind me. I don't know it, but it just reminded me of that sort of machine talking thing. And yeah, I don't remember the, the dialogue. Especially the voice I mean, itself. The yeah. voice itself, exactly. Mm, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk Wait. about some of this dialogue, man. This is oh, huge. Dude. It really is, and like it's 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 still a lot to like decipher. But at the same time, I mean, it's he's obviously to be, talking about the final the final seven models. Um, and I, I think I, I can't remember if he says it in this. Oh yeah, the fifth, the fifth, still in shadow, will claw toward the light, hungering for redemption that will only come in the howl of terrible suffering. Hmm. Wowzers! Um, really makes me think. Especially with his last word to uh, to Shaw in this whole you know movie, where he's like, "Don't trust Kara Thrace. She's the you know harbinger of death, the herald of the apocalypse." It makes me think she might be the fifth Cylon. The, yeah. She's the the only one still in shadow, hungering for redemption, clawing out of terrible suffering. I'm like, boy, that sure sounds like Kara. There you go. Makes me concerned. 
just for fun, I pulled up the, uh, it's, he's called the Puppet Master. <laughs> Wait, is that his name on the show? In, in Ghost in the Show. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and he's right. doing this thing. A copy is an identical image. There is the possibility that a single virus could destroy an entire set of systems and copies do not give rise to variety and originality. Life perpetuates itself through diversity, and that includes the ability to sacrifice itself when necessary. Cells repeat the process of degeneration and regeneration. Remember, he does that, that whole thing. That's what it reminds me of. It's just this sort of really cool, just saying a bunch of wild shit. That's oh, cool. Sci-fi utterings. <laughs> Utterances. <laughs> cells interlinked. Yeah, exactly. Same shit, right? <laughs> but oh, uh, yeah, they get in there and uh, oof, harbinger. Well, dude, I I gotta add. This is one of those times where I have to ask you on on your first viewing of this. You know, your first time. You know, you've come out of season three and finally Razor comes out before season four, and you watch this. What is your thought here? What were you starting to speculate on? The, you know, the last Cylon identity, or were you coming with any theories from this? Obviously, you can't tell me the full truth, but I am curious what you were thinking. So I feel like I remember where and when I watched Razor, and here's the bummer: I think Uh-oh. I saw it after I saw the whole show. Oh, loser! I know. Because because I went, oh, yeah, you know, I never watched that Razor thing. Mm, well, you know what? I'll ask you this. Obviously, with no spoilers, having watched the entire series and yes. then watching Razor, yes. do, you pretty wild like too, it, do you feel like it made things make more sense? Or did it not really add? Um, That's kind of the, the end of the day. I don't know if I want to even share that because that okay. might be too spoilery. Mm, because if okay. I say yes, maybe I'm confirming things. If I say no, I'm also confirming things. Right, right. It might be too, that might be a little too vague. Too risky, too It's nuclear. interesting. How about this? It's pretty interesting to watch now. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, howdy. Now I see it all clear. Yeah. How do you like them apples? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this, um, this mission gets ugly. Oh, boy. It gets gnarly. Shaw takes a bullet. She's down. Yeah, one of their. I mean, honestly, one of the uh, decisions by Shaw that I actually liked and thought was good was her wasting the dude who got injured. I agree. It was being dragged away by fucking robots to be tortured to death to the Cylon Cylon Mangala Lab. (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that was actually the right call. I feel like it's terrible, it's brutal, but boy, uh, you you know what else is going to happen. As they're dragging him away, he's like, do I get the guy's Baltar suite? Am I going to get the guy's Baltar suite? Am I getting the guy's treatment <laughs> Do I get the no? of the Warrior Princess, please? <laughs> yep. You don't get the guy's Baltar treat suite. You might as well just take a bullet. No, you get space Cinnabites. <laughs> That's what you get here. <laughs> Old fucking chatterbox. <laughs> but yeah, it's a mess. I mean, it's clear that uh, they're fucked. They're not sure what they're going to do about the nuke. And uh, I like this. I like this battle. Meanwhile, things are raging around... In space, again, it looks cool. And, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we fucking doing? And this is this was a cool moment of, I, I guess, essentially, this is the first operation that mm-hmm. Lee was in charge of as a commander yep. of an entire ship. And, obviously, his dad is there a bit like, I got to take the training wheels off you there. Yeah. Let, let, you, let you run free. But, yeah, his, he makes the, the call of we should have a nuke prepped and ready to launch at that base star. For sure. Um, you know, regardless of anything, we need to be prepared for that possibility because they start losing radio contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right when the dude's talking shit about Kara. 
Right, right. Right, I mean, exactly on that part. <laughs> I mean, they, they were losing it a little bit before that, and that's why they were already concerned that the, you know, the operation might already be oh, completely no, no, I'm collapsed. Right. It's, and, it's when Kendra's trying to relay the information that she was given. Yes, that's that's at the, like the very end. Um, but but before that, they were already starting to lose communication. They were you know speculating that they might already all be dead, and we might be right. running out of time to even you know attack this base star. Um, but they finally do get you know a, a couple more quips, and they they realize they're alive. And you know it's actually Bill Adama who wants to give them more time. Like mm-hmm. don't let don't sacrifice lives for this yet. Let's let, let sure. them see if they can you know extricate themselves. I can dig it. And they do, but boy, Ooh. does she have to do a uh, fuck? Boy, I'm so bad at remembering character names, but uh, you know the doctor from Terminator Two sitting on the detonator, Miles Dyson. <laughs> she had the Miles Dyson it. <laughs> I don't know how much I, I can hold this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so I say that every time I bang. <laughs> Just sweaty. I don't know how much longer I, I can I can hold this. <laughs> the fucking, he, the, <laughs> I love when he gulps <laughs> he does the gulp in the middle of that shit you're like oh this poor bastard I feel bad for Dyson. poor dude <laughs> oh uh, man but she does it man they rig it up for a manual detonation <laughs> and she sits it what a way to go sitting with a creepy hi- Cylon hybrid just mumbling prophetic darkness to you you're like, oh, fucking cons. This is how I go. All right. Really? My last fucking moment's going to be with Freddy Krueger in a pool talking about fucking biblical shit. Meanwhile, I got warning, the, yeah, I got warning the, me I got about the, whole, the apocalypse via Starbucks. Yeah, I got to fucking sit. I got to go take this to my grave. What? That's kind of wild to think about from a writing perspective. Her just taking that to the grave. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Makes and you she wonder tries. if it's going to come she up. Tries. She does. You know, what I thought was interesting is that she relays only that. Uh, I think she says, Lee, I have to warn you about Kara. And that's it. And then she she gets gets cut off. But I mean, like, that's still, you gotta, you know, I need to be warned. Something something big's going on. I need to be warned about Kara. Like that, you you gotta know now that with that knowledge, even just that that vague kind of just ominous little piece, that's gotta be in the back of Lee's mind when he sees Kara flying up out of death. Like, ha ha, I'm alive. Exactly. That's why it probably works better here than watching it where it's supposed to be in the timeline. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Because it really had that effect on me of, oh shit, I wonder if Lee was remembering that. I wonder if he remembers what Shaw told him. Yeah. And we will know as we dive into season four. Hell yeah. But uh, yeah, she gets blown up and uh, we talk about, they reflect on these decisions, which I know we talked about a little bit on that already. And uh, I like Lee's stance here. He's like, eh, I'll think about it, but I'm not loving the idea of giving her an award for shooting civilians. Because, right. yeah, that's another one of those times where I'm like, I actually do like Lee's more principled approach here of, yeah, she behaved very well on that final mission. She did her job, you know, fearlessly. And that's something, you know, that we can commend her on for that. But I'm not sure if we just wipe away the whole past of her butchering civilians <laughs> and give her this big honorable commendation that she'll be remembered for. Like that's, I, don't know, I don't know if that's the right call either. That's a little touch and go, pops. It's <laughs> a little tricky. Yep. First of all, she has, I mean, her mom's dead. She's alone. Who cares? <laughs> what do you want to piss off the civilians that have still survived that thing by rewarding this lady? Just let dude, it go. Oh, dude, good. <laughs> Just point. let it go. Pretty bad PR optics on yeah. that one. <laughs> PR optics. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking guy. 
Johnny PR over here. I love it. That's fucking awesome. Oh, you know fucking what's her name? Rosalind's assistant would be all over that shit. Like, wait, we got an election coming up. You're going to give fucking medals out to the war criminal? I don't think that's a good look. Twitter's going to fucking explode. Tori's like, look, I can, I can dig a nice noble sacrifice. I can dig it, but wasting the civilians down on the deck. Eh. I, don't think, I don't think we need to be putting the Medal of Honor on our fucking ashes. All right. Speculations do say that uh, this is bad optics for uh, our campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the only thing I care about. That's fucking terrific. Oh, fuck. Optics. I can dig it. That's good shit, man. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I like it. I I like the end of this episode for sure. Me too. I dig it. His, I, like I said, I like it. I'm, I like. I'm I'm a, I'm a strong like. I really really enjoyed it. I'm a like it, versus you know, a, versus a. I kind of like it. I'm a like after talking about it. You know, I, and I feel like part of you know maybe your hesitation or, or you know ambivalence about it more so than mine is because you've already seen the entire series and you've seen this before and you know how it fits into the you know the larger story. For me, I think the the overall maybe, enjoyment but, factor. Huh? I don't maybe, but I'm not positive of that. Yeah, but I can't okay. say for certain. I don't know what's affecting my brain, but <laughs> well, I, I I don't even, dude. Let me tell you something about my Battlestar Galactica knowledge. I think this is a good time to share this. Ooh, okay. I know the miniseries in season one very very well. Two, I forgot a lot of, with the exception of the Pegasus stuff. Three, I love the escape off of New Caprica. Oh, yeah. And I don't know four for shit. Really? I've seen every one of them one time. I've seen season one three times. The miniseries, ten times. <laughs> so I've only seen season four once. And I saw it a, at least a year after I watched season three. I, I, I'm one of those people who watched three seasons and said, I got to see season four. I got to see season four. I got to see season four. It's already over. I can only avoid a spoilers for so long. I mean, it was probably a few years between wow. me seeing season three and me seeing season four. And I kind of blew through four. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like that weekly think and reflect. I blew through it on DVD and I was like, okay, I remember the last couple episodes very well, but I don't know what the fuck happens in season four. I don't remember. And I'm going to start remembering as it happens so if that gives you any indication as to how my opinion of Razor is impacted by season four, not very. Because I don't okay. even fucking remember. I don't remember. I've seen it once. That's crazy <laughs> well, to think about. Boy, I'm even I'm even more excited to go into four now. It's almost yeah. like new again for you. Yeah, it it honestly, I mean, as they come up, I'll remember. I know the giant reveals, but yeah. um as they come up, I'll remember. Like I know I know who's alive and who's dead by the time the show's over. I, that shit <laughs> you go. don't forget, but episodes and what they're about who fucking there's 20 i don't fucking know couldn't yeah. tell you well dude but the, my last thing i was gonna say though is i think for me my overall high enjoyment level of this of this movie or extended episode however you want to think of it is that it felt like classic Battlestar to me. Like, we've ah. talked about that before, of like mid-season one, early season two, like super just like, there's politics, there's really tough moral choices, there's, you know, you know, very gray, dark things happening, and there's also just incredibly awesome military dogfight battling going on. And and also, on top of all that, the, the beautiful sauce that we all enjoy so much drizzled overall is the crazy Cylon mythos uh, you know, just seeping into everything. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I feel like it has all of those elements fairly well balanced, and it's just, it was a fun ride. Cool, man. I'm glad you liked it as much as you did. 
It's good. Awesome. Um, so we have a couple of comments regarding this one that I'd like to get to. Um, boy, some are really long. <laughs> a couple of questions from Matthew as written by Callum Banbury. Ooh. Do you expect Razor to be about a brand new character considering it's all a huge flashback? Did you expect it? I don't think I expected it, but I was I I I knew there was going to be a new character just because I saw on, you know, the, the Wikipedia page <laughs> the cover for Razor. And I was only looking at like the cast. I wasn't reading any of the plot shit ahead of time. But I was like, hmm, I don't recognize the person right next to Kane. I have a feeling they're important. All right. <laughs> but outside of that, no, I, I was not expecting it's the amount of focus, I guess, on a new character. Second for question sure. from Mr. Banbury. As this is your first, this is a great question. As this is your first viewing of the series, how relevant do you feel Pegasus-related content is at this stage? Great question. Would you change your first viewing order if you could go back to put Razor in a different position? No, for that part, no. I would not. I would not change my viewing order. Which gets back to, by the way, a much more um, a much more verbose way to ask the question, which I asked, which is, do we need this? <laughs> He's basically saying how relevant is Pegasus-related content at this stage as Pegasus has been put to bed, basically. Right, right. Yeah, no, that is, that's a good question, Callum, as far as, like, do we need this? Do we need to return to this? Um, I I feel like I I see what the writers are trying for, and I even, I, I have my own curiosity, too, and I feel like we talked about it when we, we did the original Pegasus episodes of my curiosity about Kane as a person, as a character. I mean, like, I was definitely interested in that, so I'm like... I get the idea of wanting to to go back and explore her a little further, but what I think is kind of wrong with that idea is that, well, when they did go back with this, you know, with Razor, it's not really that much about Kane. It's a lot more about Shaw, and I think we can kind of, I think it's fair to see Shaw as an extension of Kane and her mindset, um, and like essentially Kane's influence amongst her crew, which I think is interesting, mm-hmm. but... At the end of the day, I'm not sure if it merits a whole movie, <laughs> which is why I also feel like there's a lot going on here. It's kind of stuffed with a lot of other things because that's not enough. Um, and and I, I definitely, the only other thing I went into thinking about this, you know, thinking that for one, it might be something that adds more sympathy to Kane, but I thought it was going to be a lot more Kane-centric. I thought she was going to be like really mm-hmm. the main character, and I was I was surprised that she wasn't. I think that's probably one of my biggest gripes with this is more cane was needed. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there's some more discussion here, but Tommy Brinkley sort of, um, he's on our Facebook page. He's on our recommissioned to Battlestar Galactica podcast, private group on Facebook. You can go join it. Um, but Tommy uh, has has a really good point here. You know, one of the things I was complaining about was, and I know they show the destruction of the family, but I guess I just didn't really think about it to to understand what motivates Kane. You know, I asked that question, and he kind of just spells it out for me. Uh, in this discussion he's having with another listener named Ben Pardini. Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to read them both. I'm going to start with Ben's and then read Tommy's response, because Tommy's response kind of plays into some of the things I brought up. But Pardini says, I'm torn on Razor. It's a solid piece of TV, but something about it feels out of place. I agree with that. Uh, maybe if it had been aired close to Pegasus, I'd feel differently. There are some interesting moments uh, throughout, but overall it doesn't feel like it propels the story forward. That's a fair point. He continues, we didn't need con- confirmations of the atrocities committed by the Pegasus crew. Most of that was heavily implied earlier. So I, so it didn't really change anything. I'm all for seeing more events in Roe or Admiral Kane. 
She can discipline me anytime she pleases, let's be honest. But I don't care for Kendra. She's just Admiral Can light. Anyway, <laughs> some intriguing moments, especially towards the end. So Pardini almost is summarizing some of my thoughts, to be frank. But 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 Tommy comes back and says, I agree. However, it is my feeling that BST's Razor is trying to accomplish two goals. First, it tries to convey the two of the views exactly why Admiral Kane was so hellbent on revenge. She, and then he goes on to list. She lost her family in the First Island War, specifically her younger sister being abducted moments before the armistice, not to mention the Pegasus being sabotaged by yet another sixth, who she just happened to be having relations with. In her mind, the war with the Cylons was never over. Secondly, with the hybrid, it attempts to set the stage for the remainder of the series. Um, so, pretty good case by by Tommy. I I I almost feel like Lee's retort has a place here as well, which is you're not the first lieutenant to make a tough call. In other words, everyone's families are dead. You, you know, <laughs> that's true. Every planet was nuked into oblivion, so it's not Kane's loss is not entirely unique. So right. I need more to know than you're trying to survive and your family died to be to, to understand your motivation. I think I need a little bit more because it's clear that's all obviously motivating everybody on some level. But then what's what, I want to know more about you, the person you, which I don't know if we got a lot of in this. No, but I agree. I don't. I feel still like, this like a lot it. From her. I do. I, I, it's, it's not a love though. There's there's quite a few things missing for me to love it. Yeah, I I don't I think I I like it. I'm a little higher on the like than you, but I, I think don't so. quite love it either. That's fair. Not but, quite there. But enjoy Strong. an enjoyable watch. It was more enjoyable. I I it's funny. I don't remember liking it much at all when I first watched it. Oh, so there's funny. a piece of insight I can give you. I remember going, "Eh," but I'm like, "Oh, I went from eh to huh." <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at. I like it, I would say, and you like it too. Uh, now I'll just have to find out how Blood and Chrome holds up for you. No, well, we're not. I never seen that. <laughs> Never I think watched. that's supposed to be set after the series? Yeah, I'm not that. interested. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> it might be good, but I'm just not interested. And that matters. <laughs> so, thank you very much for tuning in again. Uh, so, a bit of an announcement. A bit of a special announcement, I guess you'd say, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we are recording this on Tuesday the 8th of October. We're probably going to be dropping it on the 12th. I think I'm sliding the drop days to Saturdays versus Friday because I just haven't been able to commit to that Friday and they've been coming out on Saturday anyway. So I'm just going to start saying Saturdays going forward, especially for season four. But uh, in in taking one thing away, I give you many things. I am a benevolent God. So (laughs) it's Tuesday the 8th. We are going to be doing BSG recordings on Tuesday the 15th, Tuesday the 22nd, and Tuesday the 29th. So pretty cool. We're doing one, two, three, four weeks in a row of Battlestar Galactica recording um, because we have gotten a good hold on our membership content. We have a lot of content to release to our members. The only reason we don't do BSG every week is because we have commitments to do bonus content to paying members, and that matters a lot to us. That's Priority one is the Lost Drive-In. Priority two is bonus content. And then there's priorities threes and fours. And, um, but, but we're here, we're in our last season and to celebrate that a little bit, to celebrate that we've come this far over the course of starting watching this three years ago. Um, I I didn't even live where I'm living now. It's crazy to think about that. We are going to do, so we're recording Razor today on the 8th. We're going to be recording He That Believeth in Me on the 15th. We're going to be recording The Ties That Bind on the 22nd. And we're going to be recording six of one on the 29th. Those are all Tuesdays and they will be releasing on the, on the following, on the Saturday of that same week. So you're going to get Razor on the 12th. 
he that believeth in me on the 19th, the ties that bind on the 26th, and six of one on November 2nd. Boom. And then we'll probably take a week, maybe maybe two off, but probably just a week to, to, to get back to bonus recording and then do back to that every other week thing. But we want to get a jump on this and, and get it going and get this thing done, baby. Get it done. Have a nice completed product out there. I know people are clamoring for us to get to the end of this thing and we don't want to make you wait forever. That's it. Awesome. We're marching, marching mm-hmm. forward. Indeed. We have like a, a razor mo- through swaths of innocent civilian children standing in our way. <laughs> yeah, just be a tool. That's all. <laughs> just be a tool. <laughs> I like how she tries to absolve the moral responsibility by saying she is just the weapon in question and not the wielder of the weapon. <laughs> Basically just like, yeah, just don't feel bad about it, actually. Just don't. <laughs> I can Fine. assure you the knife feels nothing. But somebody <laughs> has to you. somebody has to wield the knife. <laughs> ah fuck that's funny all right well thank you guys very much this is a lot of fun i'm glad uh that we got to razor finally and uh it was a blast matthew tell his good people goodbye goodbye